goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Monday, April 30th. Woo! I, I'm so I'm so pumped for today. I hope you know I uh I have not slept in over 24 hours. That's just how I am. I, I just uh I wanted to put everything I could into this podcast. I probably overprepared it, but whatever, you know, screw it. Move on. It's awesome. I got to say this. I got to give you guys a heartfelt message before we start the podcast. I, uh, we're getting close to a thousand subs on YouTube, a thousand subscribers. We're very, very close to it. And, uh, you know, I, I put my heart and soul into this show. This is my favorite thing in the world. And I'm just a dumb kid with a dream. Like I, I just, this is my, I want to do this someday as my job. And that's, um, it's so cool. I remember my first couple months of Strong Opinion Sports. I had literally 12 subscribers for like three months. And it was hard because I'd make content and like two people would watch my video. And it's cool now to see. I'm, I'm still like a pretty small YouTuber, but it's, it's exciting. It, it's, it's fun to have people interacting, even if they hate me. I don't care as long as they watch. I mean, it's just it's a ton of fun. I love doing this show. And I just uh, I'm so grateful for you guys. And thank you so much for watching. Thanks for listening. I just really, really appreciate you guys' support of Strong Opinion Sports. This is my favorite thing I've ever done and the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my entire life. Okay, I want to start the show today on a positive note. I feel like I, I feel like I've just been getting a little bit, you know, I've been hypercritical recently. I've been really, really I don't mean to be negative, but it is wearing me out to be like the Giants suck and the Baker made, you know, all this it's just it wears me out. And so I want to start with something I just I saw something this weekend that I just loved. And even though I say what I believe all the time, you know, I always, when I'm critical, it's not because I'm trumping it up. I actually believe what I'm saying. But this, this thing this I saw this weekend just, oh, it excited me. It, it really, it fired me up. It motivated me. And I want to share that with you guys now. I became a big fan of Victor Oladipo this weekend. I, I just, you know, Victor Oladipo and the Indiana Pacers just went head to head with LeBron James for an entire series. They challenged LeBron James. They took him to a seven-game series. They challenged him all the way to game seven. And, and that's the first time in LeBron James' entire career he's faced elimination in the first round of the playoffs. And I, I watched Victor Oladipo's post-game uh, interview, post-game press conference after losing game seven. And remember, you know, context matters. This is right after he was eliminated from the playoffs. His season had just ended and he was giving this interview and he he blew me away. I mean, given the situation, this is one of the most impressive post-game interviews I've ever seen in my entire life. I, was, I, I just, I don't know. I'm going I'm to play a clip from this interview in a second, but I, I just got to say, you know, he was humble. He showed tremendous class. He was extremely level-headed. You know, we see athlete seasons end all the time and they're, they're angry. They have a hood on. They don't care. And I've never seen Victor Oladipo. He looked straight into the camera. He owned it. He, I don't want to, you know, I, I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link the full thing below. So I'm going mean, to, you can watch the full interview. I'm not going to do that. Um, but you can tell in this interview, he's not happy. And he owned the loss. He confronted the loss. And that's a guy I want leading my franchise. If I am an Indiana Pacers fan, I'm incredibly encouraged. If I'm an Indiana Pacers fan and I watch Victor Oladipo's post-game press conference after losing Game 7 to the Cleveland Cavaliers. If I'm an Indiana Pacers fan, I'm watching that, and I'm just swelling full of confidence. So I'm going to show you a clip from this interview. This is what impressed me. This is what got my attention. Roll the clip. 
I had somebody tell me, you know, take a break and enjoy your life. I say, this, this is my life. So. You know, I, I stayed up all night working on strong opinion sports. This show is my passion. It's my favorite thing in the world. And when people tell me to rest, you know, I, I tell them with all due respect, I'm good. I like what I'm doing. You know, I, I want to turn strong opinion sports into my full-time job. I know it's kind of a crazy lofty dream. I know it's a little bit out there, but that's what I want to do. And I, I'm very passionate about that. And I'm well aware that being a creator is a job that everybody wants. Everybody wants to be a creator on YouTube. And to, so to, be, to succeed, if it was easy, everybody would do it. So I have to put everything into it that I can. And it's fun to see Victor Oladipo kind of feel the same way. I, I, it'll be really enjoyable to watch over the next couple of years, the next couple of months, whether or not Victor Oladipo follows through with his promise. I believe he will. And, and we're going to investigate the stats in a minute. But I think it's cool first that Victor Oladipo started this interview by... He, he, he started by thanking God for the ability to play the game of basketball. And whether you believe in God or not, however you feel about God, I honestly, I don't know how to feel about God. It confuses me. I, I think it's really cool that Victor Oladipo does not take playing in the NBA for granted. That, that's a big deal. He appreciates the opportunity. And, and people will say that Victor Oladipo did not deliver when the moment presented itself, that he did not capture the moment. He could have won the series and he didn't make it happen. And I think he knows that. I think he takes that to heart. But I would counter that by saying, you know, he did lose to LeBron James. And LeBron James, whether you think he's a go, whether you don't, you probably don't. But he's a, you, we can all agree LeBron James is probably a top three player of all time. And a lot of people have lost to LeBron James. I mean, LeBron James, eight straight finals. So I think it's interesting. I want to examine Victor Oladipo's stats and examine his growth as a player. So in a seven-game series versus the Cavs, Victor Oladipo averaged 41% shooting. He averaged 23 points, and his plus-minus averaged out to be plus eight. So what that means is when Victor Oladipo was on the court, the Pacers were on average eight points better than the Cavs. By the way, LeBron James in the same series had a plus-minus of minus four. And let's look at the 2018 season. I mean... Man, winning for the Pacers was not about Victor Oladipo scoring. Whether the Pacers lost or the Pacers won, Victor Oladipo always averaged 23 points. The way the, the Pacers were able to win, when Victor Oladipo was more efficient, that is what got the Pacers to winning games. And usually, efficiency, you know, shooting percentage has to do with shot selection. I'm going to play a second clip from the post-game interview. I want you to watch that now. I feel like I got a lot of work to do and I got a lot of room to improve and things that I need to get better at and I'm going to watch film and go over the games all, uh, over the course of a year and see what I can improve at and this summer I'm going to go to work um, so I can come back even better than this year. This inspires me. This excites me. This is something I can watch for next year. You know, next year I will watch for this. I will monitor whether or not Victor Oladipo improves. And I believe he will. In fact, the stats show over the years, he's improved every single season. This is, so this was Victor Oladipo's fifth year in the NBA. Next year will be Victor Oladipo's sixth year as an NBA player. And if you look at his, his stats over the years, every single season he's been in the league, his field goal percentage has gone up. He's six points better in field goal percentage than he was five years ago. He shot 47%. This year, his first year, he shot 41%. He improves at a th as a three-point shooter. His free throws have always consistently been around 80%. And 
and the guy can rebound. I, I'm really becoming quite a fan. The more I look into Victor Oladipo, the more I'm excited about him. It's really, really cool. You know, because I'm always looking for reasons to care about the Eastern Conference because there's not a lot. There's not a lot to watch in the Eastern Conference. And Victor Oladipo is a good story. He's been on three teams in the last three seasons. He now plays for the Indiana Pacers. He went to Indiana for college. And that's exciting, man. Victor Oladipo has my attention because of the way he played in this series against LeBron James, and especially his post-game interview, post-game press conference, after losing Game 7 to the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's interesting. It's fun. I'm not saying Victor Oladipo's going to win a championship. I'm not saying he's a great all-time player. All I'm saying is I'm excited for when next season comes around to watch whether or not Victor Oladipo improves. It'll be fun to watch him. I will be rooting for Victor Oladipo. And God, I, I hope Victor Oladipo continues to grow and continues to improve. You know, I got to say, it's worth pointing out all the stats I drew from this topic were acquired by looking at the box scores on ESPN and, and, you know, and averaging everything out. We hate on ESPN. I do it sometimes. But I use ESPN every single day. Their, their way of tracking stats and giving me scores is so important. Cre- small creators like me could not exist without ESPN. And their huge collection of stat books and box scores and yada yada. And I just want to point out that not every single thing about ESPN is bad. You might hate Max Kellerman. That's fine. But the website's great. The website's actually really helpful to me. I don't know about you. Uh, You know, I don't... I'm, I'm sure you guys are all watching. You guys are like, what is wrong with Zach? Why is Zach being so nice? Do not worry. We're not going to be nice for long. We have a lot to say. We're going to talk about the New York Giants. The Vegas odds came out today. We're going to talk about the Giants. We're going to talk about the Broncos. We're going to talk about, I have eight teams that I believe can win the Super Bowl. I use the Vegas odds to kind of support this theory, but I've had these teams, I've been making lists for a little while. I'm going to share that with you guys. I'm going to break down every quarterback and where they went in the NFL draft. There were 13 quarterbacks drafted in this year's NFL draft. I'm going to break down every single one of those selections, where they went, make predictions. That'll be fun. We're going to talk about Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook and Oklahoma City Thunder lost to the Utah Jazz. The Oklahoma City Thunder were eliminated from the playoffs by Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz. So what does that mean? And whose fault is that? Why was Russell Westbrook eliminated from the playoffs? I'm going to break down the 49ers draft. I'm going to give you deep analysis of that. Again, man, we just have a great show today. I am so, so excited. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. And if you really want to help Strong Opinion Sports grow, tell your friends about this show. God, why did, how does it always rhyme? I'm stupid. I always say it the same way. Share it on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow Strong Opinion Sports by telling your friends about it. I would appreciate it very much. We are going like crazy already. I mean, we don't, I'd love your help, but we don't, I don't think we need it. I think I like the pace we're going. I'm, I'm really, really I'm excited, man, and I really appreciate you guys' support. All right, I'm drinking some water because my mouth is getting chapped. I haven't slept in 24 hours. I just, whew, man. <clears throat> so I got I to gotta lead with this. I believe everybody thinks I must hate the New York Giants, or everybody thinks I hate Saquon Barkley. Because, you know, I criticized the New York Giants for passing on Sam Darnold, passing on a quarterback, 
and drafting the running back, Saquon Barkley. I said that was a bad decision because most people, most people had Sam Darnold as a top rated quarterback in the NFL draft and he fell to the Giants and they passed on him. And again, instead, the Giants chose to draft a running back, Saquon Barkley. So I want to be very, very clear about something. Saquon Barkley was the best player in this year's NFL draft. Either him or Bradley Chubb. It's one and two, like 1A, 1B. I don't know how you really compare Bradley Chubb and Saquon Barkley. They played very different positions on opposite sides of the ball. But we can all agree Saquon Barkley is 1A or 1B, the best player in this year's NFL draft. Yeah, And I, I got, you know, the Giants drafted an incredible player. But what I think I said was, I do not believe that Saquon Barkley helps the Giants win games. Saquon Barkley will not help the Giants actually win games. And it turns out, huh, Vegas agrees with me. You see, Vegas odds makers came out with their projected win totals for all the NFL teams after the NFL draft. They have the Giants. Vegas has the Giants winning six and a half games. What did I tell you? And that's with the new offensive coach. That's with the new left tackle, Nate Solder. That's with Odell Beckham Jr. back and healthy. Plus, the Giants did add Saquon Barkley. Yet the Giants are only projected to win six and a half games next season. Remember, the Giants won three games last year. If they follow Vegas's prediction, they're only going to win three and a half more games than they won last year. And remember, Vegas has no emotion. And Vegas is usually right because Vegas' job is to be right. Their money depends on it. They're trying to make money off of these predictions. So go ahead. Be angry. Bet the over. Bet bet they're going to win more than six and a half games. But Vegas has the Giants going fourth in the NFC East. And that's exactly like I said on Friday. And I just, man, I, I, I know right now Giants fans are angry. They're like, what about the Jets? Here's what Giants fans are saying. You said the Giants had draft Sam Darnold. Well, the Jets did draft Sam Darnold and Vegas only predicted the Jets to win six games. And they're like, what do you say to that, Zach? I say this. The Jets have a rookie quarterback. And the Giants have a 37-year-old quarterback, Eli Manning. So all the teams that Vegas projected to win the most games all had great quarterbacks in the prime of their careers. And I'm going to tell you this. Give Sam Darnold two years. The Jets' wins will go up. The Giants' wins will go down. See, in two years from now, Tom Brady's going to retire. And the AFC East is going to be wide open. And then the Jets will move in. And Sam Darnold and the New York Jets are going to reign over the AFC East. And do not ever, ever forget, Adrian Peterson could not win games by himself. Adrian Peterson was the running back of his decade from 2000 to 2010, Adrian Peterson was the best running back in the NFL. Whatever, what, I don't know, he wasn't there the whole time, Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. But in that 10 years, he was the best one to play in, the, in any of those 10 years. And Adrian Peterson could not win games by himself. Adrian Peterson needed a quarterback. You know, my junior year of high school, David Douglas High School in Portland, Oregon, had a great running back, Andre. He was the best running back in the entire area. 
He had to offer to Cal. His grades didn't pan out. He didn't go to Cal. But Andre was unbelievable. And yet, guess how many games his team won? David Douglas won zero games in spite of having a great running back. Running backs do not win you games. Do not forget, the Giants could have got other running backs. The Giants could have had Sony Michelle, who will be productive for the Patriots. They could have had Nick Chubb, Rashad Penny, Ronald Jones, Darius Geis. There were other running backs in the NFL draft that the Giants could have drafted and could have had. They might not have been exactly as talented as Saquon Barkley, but they were still productive, good running backs in the NFL. They would have had, what, 70% of... Saquon Barkley, even even 60% of Saquon Barkley, that's, that's a productive, productive running back. My point is that the Giants could have had a quarterback and a running back. They could have had a better quarterback than they have. Well, then they're, well they drafted Kyle Oletta. That's my point. It's like, oh, you got Kyle Oletta or Sam Darnold. Not really a comparison, is there? Just don't forget, quarterbacks impact wins, not running backs. I'm telling you. Give the Jets and give the Giants two years. Talk to me in two years and watch what happens. Watch the win totals contrast. The Jets will go up. The Giants will go down. I'm telling you, give it two years. Come back to me in two You're angry. Give it two years and then come talk to me. If the Giants are winning, I'll admit I was wrong, but I do not believe that is what will happen. There are eight teams that I believe can win the Super Bowl. Eight teams, that, and Vegas actually backs me up, so I'm, gonna, I'm really excited for this. My number one team that can win the Super Bowl, this is not in order, there are just eight teams. Call it A, B, C, D, whatever. I, I'm just, I gave them a number because I wanted eight teams. My first team that could win the Super Bowl is the Philadelphia Eagles. They have the same great defense as last year. Oh, and by the way, they're returning their should-have-been-MVP quarterback, Carson Wentz. They're going to be even better than they were last year when they won the Super Bowl at quarterback. And they had a great draft. The Philadelphia Eagles just reloaded. They're even better than they were last year. And they just won the Super Bowl. That is scary. So I'm going to stay in the NFC East. There's another team in the NFC East that could win the Super Bowl next year. And that is the Dallas Cowboys. Let me ask you a question. What is the Dallas Cowboys biggest weakness. They just traded away Ryan Switzer today. The Dallas Cowboys do not have a premier wide receiver. And yet, let me ask you, since when do receivers win Super Bowls? Did Antonio Brown win a Super Bowl last year? No, he didn't. How about Odell Beckham Jr.? Does he have a Super Bowl? Or or Calvin Johnson, Terrell Owens, Larry Fitzgerald? He got the one. He didn't win one. Receivers don't win you Super Bowls. And if you look at the Dallas Cowboys... They have a really good quarterback. They have a great defense, a great offensive line. They have a good running back. The Cowboys are above average in the running game, in defense, and the passing game because of their quarterback. Even if you don't like that, they have a great running game, great defense, and they will complete passes. They do have Dak Prescott. I believe he will take a step up, and he will have help from the running game that will really support him. I believe the Cowboys can win the Super Bowl this year. There are two teams in the NFC East that can win Super Bowls. None of them are the New York Giants. My third team that could win a Super Bowl this year is the New England Patriots. I mean, what do you want me to say? (laughs) They've been to the Super Bowl two years in a row. They have Tom Brady. They have Bill Belichick. Is it not fair to say you should never really count out the Patriots? If you look at Vegas, Vegas predicted them to win the most 
games this year. Vegas predicted them to win 11 games this year. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. And it's the Patriots. They have a great quarterback. They had a good draft. They got Sony Michelle. Sorry. Vegas didn't predict them to win 11 games. Vegas predicted the Patriots to win 12 games. 12 games because they play in the awful, right now awful, not for not in two years. Right now the Patriots play in what is the awful AFC East. And I'm just not, I'm simply not going to count out the Patriots. The Patriots could win a Super Bowl again. They might go back to the Super Bowl again. I don't know if they can beat an NFC, an NFC team, but the Patriots could go back to the Super Bowl once again. My next team that could win a Super Bowl is the Los Angeles Rams. On paper, the Rams are the scariest team in the NFL. They have the scariest roster in the NFL. Their roster is unbelievable. They went all out this offseason. The Rams just went after it. And I believe their hard work, I believe all their trades, all their acquisitions, I believe it's going to pay off for the Rams. And I agree. I believe Vegas says that the Rams are going to win nine and a half games. I agree with that. I believe that the Rams are going to win the NFC West. It's going to be close. The 49ers will challenge them, but come on. The Rams, no offense to the 49ers. I think they're a year, maybe two away. The Rams are going to win right now. They have a great coach, a great defense, a good quarterback. All of the pieces are there for the Rams to win a Super Bowl. My next team, my fifth team that could win a Super Bowl next year in 2018 is the New Orleans Saints. Let's be honest. The Saints got robbed last year. The Saints got robbed out of a playoff when it should have been the Eagles versus the Saints in the playoffs last year. And they're going to come back hungry. They have young rookies. with the, So the, the young rookies they had last year are going to have more experience next year. That guy who gave up a touchdown against the Vikings, not going to do it again next year. He'll be a sophomore. He'll be in his second year in the league. My only fear, the only thing that scares me about the Saints, because I really do think the Saints are a challenger for the Super Bowl next year. The only thing that scares me is an injury. And I think the guy I would be nervous about getting injured for no no reason. This is just like a gut feeling. My fear is that Alvin Kamara could get injured and that would significantly hurt the New Orleans Saints. My sixth team that could win a Super Bowl is the Green Bay Packers. Listen to this. The Packers defense just got even better. So they weren't very good. They got the two of the top four corners in the NFL draft. They got J.R. Alexander and they got Josh Jackson. Not to mention, so they have good, they have good corners and they have Aaron Rodgers. They have the greatest quarterback maybe to ever play, at least most talented. They have at least the best quarterback right now. I love Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers is simply more talented than Tom Brady. And when you have Tom, when you have Aaron Rodgers, you can never count out the Green Bay Packers. And Vegas likes the Packers. I was surprised. Vegas predicted the Packers to win 10 games next year. That is ridiculous. My number seven team that could win a Super Bowl is the new is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Look, Big Ben is a Hall of Famer. They have stars all over the place. The question is, can Mike Tomlin make it happen? And yeah, I, I think the reason why the Steelers could win the Super Bowl this year is because the Patriots appear to be having kind of an off, weird offseason. The Patriots might be down this year. And if the Patriots are down this year, it'd be prime time for Mike Tomlin to capitalize on that. I saw a stat. It was like Mike Tomlin is 2-6 and six all time against the Patriots, I believe. But Vegas, Vegas believes in the Steelers. Vegas has the Steelers winning 10 and a half games. And again, remember, it's very possible the Patriots could be 
have kind of a down year, not be as good as they were last year, the Steelers could win the Super Bowl. And my eighth team, the team that I, my eighth team that I believe could win a Super Bowl is the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings have an incredible roster. That, well, that's only going to get better, too. Remember, they have another year of experience after their good year last year. And I got to say, and I always say this, Kirk Cousins, if you give Kirk Cousins a good enough roster, he can win you a Super Bowl. This is the best roster Kirk Cousins might ever play on his, in his entire life. And I believe Kirk Cousins could lead the Vikings to a Super Bowl. The Vikings could win a Super Bowl. Now, there are three teams kind of on the fringe. There are three teams that are right there that I don't know that they're quite good enough to win a Super Bowl, but they could compete for a Super Bowl. They might get to a championship game. They might, they're going to make the playoffs, I think, and they're going to challenge and push the teams that I think could win the Super Bowl. My three fringe teams are the LA Chargers, the Houston Texans, and the San Francisco 49ers. So I, I think the, the Texans and the 49ers are close, but they're still really a year, maybe two years away from actually having a chance to win a Super Bowl. And you know, the Chargers could. Vegas, Vegas has the Chargers winning nine games next year. I think Vegas has the Chargers winning their division. And I'd be incredibly happy for Phillip Rivers. I don't know that I'm ready to put all my chips and really put myself bet on the Chargers, but maybe they could. I do think, I think they're a fringe team. Because um, they're in a tougher division, and I don't know that I quite believe. I like Philip Rivers. I've never really seen him win in a big moment. So for me, the Chargers are a fringe team. I want you to notice something. Notice that the Denver Broncos are not on that list. The Denver Broncos are not on my list of teams that could win a Super Bowl next year. So the Broncos. <clears throat> The Broncos drafted Bradley Chubb, and I got really, really excited because I look at it this way. I looked at it as, you know, the, the Broncos just got a stable quarterback, Case Keenum. So they have a stable quarterback. Then the Broncos, after drafting Bradley Chubb, have a great, great defense with a scary pass rush. Von Miller on one side, Bradley Chubb on the other. And I thought that sounded like the Broncos team that won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. I thought, man, that team is incredible. I still had reservations. Like when, when the Broncos decided to not draft a quarterback, they drafted Bradley Chubb. I was like, ah, you know, they, they could compete for a Super Bowl. But, you know, I still have reservations about Case Keenum. Can Case Keenum win a Super Bowl? He's maybe better than Peyton Manning was, but he's still not Peyton Manning. And when, when the Denver Broncos drafted Bradley Chubb, I loved it. I felt like when the Denver Broncos drafted Bradley Chubb, that actually got them closer to a Super Bowl. I thought, you know, if you draft Case Keenum, if you draft Josh Rosen, when you have Case Keenum, it's kind of redundant. You have two quarterbacks when you could have had a really great impact player like Bradley Chubb. Because I thought, you know, Bradley Chubb's a better pick. Bradley Chubb puts you closer to a Super Bowl than drafting a quarterback would have. And I really, really did believe, I really did believe Drafting Bradley Chubb put the Denver Broncos closer to a Super Bowl. I did believe that. But, you know, I, I took a look at Vegas. Because I thought, I thought the Broncos drafting Bradley Chubb put them closer to a Super Bowl. Vegas disagreed. The Vegas odds makers placed the Denver Broncos at a meager, <laughs> at a really pathetic 7-win total. See, what that tells me is Vegas does not believe in Case Keenum. 
I thought the Broncos were a borderline playoff team, maybe even a borderline team that could get to a championship game, maybe compete for a Super Bowl. I thought they would lose the Super Bowl, maybe get to a Super Bowl. Because I, you know, I didn't, I didn't believe the Broncos could win a Super Bowl. I've always doubted Case Keenum, but Vegas says the Broncos are only going to win seven games in the really competitive AFC West, and that makes sense to me. It's a tough division. The AFC West has the Raiders, the Chargers, the Chiefs. The Chiefs have a better roster. All three of those teams have better coaches. The Raiders, the Chargers have better quarterbacks. Plus Patrick Mahomes, we don't know. Patrick Mahomes could be better than Case Keenum. We really just aren't sure. And I think it's, I don't know, I really thought that adding a great pass rusher to the Broncos would make them have a better chance at winning the Super Bowl. And it just isn't true. I mean, look at J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt played for the Texans for years, and yet he could not ever win anything by himself. Until J.J. Watt got Deshaun Watson, he wasn't winning a lot of games, even though J.J. Watt was the most dominant, best defensive lineman in all of the NFL. And the truth is, I I love Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb's unbelievable. But Bradley Chubb does not, apparently, get you any closer to winning a Super Bowl. Just ask Vegas, and I trust Vegas. Vegas is rarely wrong. Their job is to be right. Their jobs, their money depends on it. Because Vegas doesn't believe in the Broncos or Case Keenum. And they're unbiased. They're not emotional. They're not like you and I. I'm emotional. You're emotional. Vegas is not. Vegas is cold and hard like a machine. And I just, you know, I I don't know. Vegas has no allegiance and I, I believe in Vegas. If Vegas doesn't believe in Case Keenum, why should I? And so I do not believe the Denver Broncos can win a Super Bowl with Case Keenum. I just do not believe they can. Not with their head coach. Not with Case Keenum. And sadly, not even with Bradley Chubb. And I thought Bradley Chubb might be the piece that got them a little bit closer. And it just, Vegas doesn't agree. I trust Vegas. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Russell Westbrook and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Because the Oklahoma City Thunder got booted from the playoffs by the Utah Jazz. So who's to blame? And the answer may surprise you. Because I I think I know who's to blame, but it's going to surprise you. It's not what you think it is. I will do a quick breakdown of every single quarterback that was drafted in this year's NFL draft. There were 13 quarterbacks selected. I'm going to do a quick run through of every single one of them. I'm going to give an in-depth analysis of the San Francisco 49ers 2018 draft class. And then I got a special treat for you guys at the end. Remember, you can... Woo! Drop my pen. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports, help me grow this show by telling your friends... I would really appreciate it. Share it on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Tell your friends about it face-to-face. Hey, there's this goofy kid, Zach Schaumler. He's, he's a silly kid with a dream, but we like him. He's fun. Whatever, whatever you want to say. Help me grow the show by telling your friends about it. I would really appreciate it. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. I'm always congested. Do you think that has anything to do with the fact that I never sleep? Do you think that's maybe part of it? I don't know. It makes sense to me. I mean, I'm a dumb kid. I don't I probably should take better care of my body. I don't know. Uh, I want to talk about this. The Oklahoma City Thunder lost their playoff series to the Utah Jazz in seven games. And to me, when I hear that, I go, how? How and why did this happen? How could the extremely talented 
Oklahoma City Thunder lose to the lowly Utah Jazz. I mean, the Jazz aren't awful. I mean, they have Donovan Mitchell. They have a really good coach. But the Oklahoma City Thunder have four really great players, at least three. At least three great players and whatever Carmelo Anthony is. And first, I believe, to, to answer this question, how did this happen? We need to address the referees. We need to address the refs at the end of Game 7. Because the last minute of Game 7 was crazy. Picture this. There's a minute left. The Thunder have the ball down three points. The score is 91-94. to 94, And what followed was just an absolute mess. In the final minute of Game 7, the Oklahoma City Thunder shot and missed six shots, both to tie the game and to score two points. And they kept shooting shot after shot. They had six shots in a row. They kept getting offensive rebounds, and they could not, for the life of them, they could not make it happen. They could not tie the game. And in this minute, the only two people that shot for the Oklahoma City Thunder were Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Each of them shot three times. They both missed all three times they shot. Again, they had six shots. They missed every single one of them. And on the sixth miss that the Oklahoma City Thunder had, Paul George pump fakes. The guy guarding him jumps. Paul George jumped into him, tried to shoot, attempting to draw a foul. And really, I think there should have been a foul called. So Paul George jumps in the air. Tries to get a foul drawn, and no foul was called. Here's what that clip looked and sounded like. I want you to hear it. I want you to see it. Take a listen. Got Gobert up in the air. Didn't get the foul call. Oh, boy. When I watch that clip, I think Paul George has a pretty good case. That looks like a foul. That looks like Paul George should be shooting three free throws. It looks like a foul should have been called. However, it wasn't. And don't forget... Even though it feels like the Thunder got screwed over by the refs, do not forget, before that sixth final shot, where it looked like Paul George got fouled, the Thunder took five shots. The Thunder took five shots and missed every single one of them. Before, so before the controversial call, the Thunder had every single opportunity to make that game and put that game and tie the game, and they didn't take it. <laughs> five chances. So my junior year of high school... Football. My team made national television. My team was on Come On Man. It was so embarrassing. It sucked. I remember, you know, Come On Man was my favorite segment. We had Chris Carter, and I, I remember, you know, we had this horrible game. And the next day, I was so excited to watch Come On Man to kind of get my mind off it. And there I was on live TV. I'm going to play the clip. And the clip you see was filmed by my best friend's dad, who played for the rival high school. <laughs> so we're playing our biggest rival in, in Southwest Washington. We blocked their game-winning field goal. They, they attempted a field goal. We came in. We blocked it. And apparently, we should have picked up the football because they picked up the ball and they weaved it because our fans rushed. We blocked the kick. Our fans rushed the field. Their guy picks up the ball, weaving through our fans, scores the game-winning touchdown. We were on, come on, man. It was so, so embarrassing. And we, we wanted to blame the refs. Because we felt like the ref, it sounded like to me, one of the refs blew their whistle. We all thought that we all thought the play was dead. And after the game, our coach's message to us was, if we'd simply put the game away earlier, if we'd simply taken care of business two plays prior and stopped them on fourth down or scored another touchdown, if we'd put ourselves in a situation where we didn't need that blocked field goal or didn't need the ref's help, 
to rule in our favor, we would have just won the game fair and square. We would have had no problems. And the point of that is that the Thunder had plenty of chances. In fact, they had five. The Thunder had five chances to win that game at the end, and they could not capitalize. The Thunder could not make a shot when they needed to. And so even though it's very clear to me, it's very obvious, yes, the refs missed the call at the end of the game. It is not the refs' fault that the Oklahoma City Thunder lost. The refs, sorry, the Oklahoma City Thunder controlled their own destiny. They had a chance to win the game, and they did not capitalize. So that, that makes me wonder, if it was not the refs' fault, whose fault was it? Why were the Oklahoma City Thunder the losers? Why did the Oklahoma City Thunder lose to the Utah Jazz? Because I repeat, the Oklahoma City Thunder lost in seven games to the Utah Jazz and were booted out of the playoffs. And I believe some people are going to come out and say, this was all Russell Westbrook's fault. I can hear Colin Coward right now. Russell Westbrook, it's all his fault. And I believe some people will say that. And, and I also believe there are many ways to frame this as simply Russell Westbrook's fault. But I do not believe it is entirely Russell Westbrook's fault that the Oklahoma City Thunder lost. I believe saying that losing to the Utah Jazz is all Russell Westbrook's fault is intellectually dishonest. It's just not true. It's not true. It's not all Russell Westbrook's fault. Here's what I know. I'm going to make a comparison. I'm going to, I'm going to compare it to the Pacers and the Cavs. So the Pacers and the Cavs just had a series, and uh, the Cavs won. And LeBron's team was awful. We were all talking about it. I was talking about it on the show. I said, LeBron's team is awful. They're not giving him any help. Kevin Love was 2 for 11. In a different game, Kevin Love was 2 for 10. Kyle Korver wasn't hitting any shots. I said, LeBron James has no help. And he's carrying the Cavaliers. Well, in game six, when the Cavaliers needed to show up, they did. LeBron scored 45. Tristan Thompson showed up. Kevin Love showed up. Kyle Korver helped him out. When LeBron James needed help, he got it. And, you know, in Game 7, the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder, we've now shifted away from the comparison, Paul George was 2 for 16. When Russell Westbrook needed Paul George to show up, Paul George shot 12%. (laughs) That's atrocious. That's awful. Paul George in Game 7 versus the Utah Jazz. Paul George scored five points. (laughs) That's miserably awful. That is atrocious. In game seven, the biggest game of the series, the biggest game of the year for the Oklahoma City Thunder, Paul George scored five points. And Carmelo Anthony wasn't any better. In both games five and six, Carmelo Anthony only scored seven points both times. And it's funny, Melo came out and said, I'm not a bench player. There's no way I'm coming off the bench. Are you you blind? Are Are you... Stupid. Look, dude, it's over because you're crazy. Carmelo Anthony's career is over. He's a bench player. He's done. My point is that Russell Westbrook did not get any help. And if we're going to talk about LeBron not getting any help, it's worth noting neither did Russell Westbrook when it mattered the most. Russell Westbrook didn't get any help. And now in game four, the Oklahoma City Thunder, as a team, as a collective team, the Oklahoma City Thunder only had 10 assists combined. Mind you, in a, series, in a game last week, the Boston Celtics had 28 team assists. Well, the Oklahoma City Thunder only had 10 assists as an entire team. 
And in game five, the Oklahoma City Thunder only had 13 assists. So some of that falls on Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is the point guard. Russell Westbrook is running the offense. But some of it does fall on coaching. They're playing iso ball. Why does Billy Donovan not stop them and say, we got to change it up. We're not moving very well. We're playing iso ball. It's not working for us. So Russell Westbrook has some of the blame, 100%. But so does Billy Donovan. So does the coaching staff for the Oklahoma City Thunder. But it's, it still is somewhat Russell Westbrook's fault. I've said it's somewhat coaching. It's somewhat the fact that his teammates didn't show up. But a large portion, the reason why the Utah Jazz beat the Oklahoma City Thunder, it is a large majority, maybe 60%, 70% Russell Westbrook's fault. Russell Westbrook had a bad fourth quarter. In game three against the Utah Jazz, he only shot 29%. He had whatever that weird moment was with Ricky Rubio where he was fouling him and guarding him like it was his life depended on it. Or the fact that he took three shots in the final minute of game seven and missed every single one of them. That when Russell Westbrook had a shot to tie the game, he could not make it happen. So Russell Westbrook is at fault. Russell Westbrook is 60, 70% at fault for the Oklahoma City Thunder losing to the Utah Jazz. But you cannot blame it all on him. You cannot blame this loss all on Russell Westbrook. This is a team sport. And no matter how much you try and twist it, no matter how much you try and make it sound like it, it wasn't entirely Russell Westbrook's fault. I will acknowledge this, that (laughs) the Thunder added a bunch of talent to their team. So last year, they were out in round one. They won, I think, they won one less game than they won this year. And this year, the Thunder added all this talent. They only got one game better, and they were still out in the first round. What's the constant there? The constant is Russell Westbrook. I I do acknowledge that. And if Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson or LeBron James or Kobe Bryant, if they lost the way that Russell Westbrook just did, we would blame them. We would, if LeBron James lost in round one to the Indiana Pacers, we would come down hard on him. We would blame him. So it's fair. It's okay with me that people are blaming Russell Westbrook. But there were other factors, in my opinion, that added to it. Because people are going to clobber Russell Westbrook today. I'm sure people did. I haven't listened to the shows today. But I, I think we've learned a lot about Russell Westbrook from this moment. And I do not believe Russell Westbrook will ever win an NBA title. Russell Westbrook will never win an NBA Finals. Because his style of play, it clearly doesn't mess with people. He couldn't play with Paul George or Carmelo Anthony or Steven Adams. He had good players around him. didn't work. Kevin Durant left him. James Harden left him. Victor Oladipo left him. Not of his own choice, but regardless. Um, I like Russell Westbrook. I think his, his energy is admirable, admirable. He gives it all every time. And he's not 100% to blame. It's not all Russell Westbrook's fault. Some of it's coaching. Some of it, some of it is that his teammates did not deliver. But there is a significant portion of blame that goes down to Russell Westbrook. Not all of it. I think that's unfair. Not that life's fair, but whatever. But some of it is Russell Westbrook's fault. So that's my whole theory on Russell Westbrook. I think that it's somewhat his fault if it was LeBron James. Because here's the thing. You can blame it all on LeBron James because he's an all-time great player. I do not believe Russell Westbrook's an all-timer. He's not a top five player in the league. So we, shouldn't, we should judge him the same way we would judge Victor Oladipo 
or Donovan Mitchell or any other. I don't know. I just I don't see LeBron James and Russell Westbrook on the same plane. I don't think it's fair to compare them. Russell Westbrook needs help. He needs better coaching. He needs better guidance. He needs to play a little bit differently. He needs to work better with people around him. He needs to have a little better basketball IQ. Whatever that was with Ricky Rubio was just ridiculous and stupid. And he's got to deliver at the end of Game 7 when he didn't. It's his fault. Not entirely his fault. But it is Russell Westbrook's fault that he didn't win the series against Utah Jazz. All right. I don't know if that made sense. I hope that made sense. I thought I had a good point and I... I lost it. It was kind of, that was a hard one to write. I'll be honest, I've prepared that all weekend and I, I still don't think I got it right. But you know, sometimes you have bad days. I hope that was, at the very least, I hope that was entertaining. That's my goal of the show. My goal is not to be right. My goal is to make people think and entertain them. Now, this is going to be really fun. This is probably the best part of this podcast. I could have done this entire podcast just dedicated to this one topic. There were 13 quarterbacks selected in the 2018 NFL Draft. So I want to go through every single one of them. I want to tell you what I liked about the pick, what I didn't like about the pick. I'm going to share my opinion about every quarterback that was selected in this year's NFL Draft. I'm going to make predictions. I'm going to make predictions. I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen. And then we're going to track them throughout the next couple of years, especially this year. And we're going to track them. Do my predictions land? Am I going to be right? I think so, obviously. But it's going to be fun. A year from now, we're going to look back. And I'm going to play, you know, I said this about Luke Falk. And we're going to play it. And was I right? Was I wrong? It's going to be fun. We're going to follow it. I'm very, very excited for this. We're going to go in order of how they were drafted. So that means we are going to start with the number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield. So the big question about Baker Mayfield is this. Was the Browns drafting Baker Mayfield number one overall a mistake? Should they have drafted Baker Mayfield? Should they have gone with Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen, Josh Allen? If you ask me if drafting Baker Mayfield was a mistake, I would say no. Hell no, it wasn't a mistake. I like Baker Mayfield a lot. Now, I would have drafted Sam Darnold, but that's personal preference. Baker Mayfield's a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong, Baker Mayfield's a good pick. (laughs) I I don't love the pick, but I also don't hate the pick. The one thing the Browns needed to do in this year's NFL draft was get a quarterback. And guess what? The Browns did it. The Browns got their quarterback. I think the Browns even got a better quarterback than they would have if they drafted Josh Allen. So it's great. And here's what's annoying about the rhetoric around Baker Mayfield right now. People keep comparing Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel and Robert Griffin III. People act like the last two times the Browns had Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks, that somehow reflects on Baker Mayfield today. Why are people judging Baker Mayfield off of RG3 and Johnny Manziel's failures? They're not remotely related to Baker Mayfield. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so what? Johnny Manziel, RG3, they also won Heisman's. They also were not great quarterbacks for the Browns. That doesn't mean Baker Mayfield can't make it. That, that's a dumb, dumb argument. And that, that one's making me sick. Do not judge Baker Mayfield on the actions of other people who have no relation or connection to Baker Mayfield. Their only connection is that they both won the same trophy. Like, psh, so what? And, and this didn't bother me. 
Baker Mayfield planting a flag on Ohio State's field after beating them didn't bother me at all. In fact, I think Baker Mayfield grabbing his crotch, grabbing his junk, didn't bother me. I didn't care. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't grab my junk on national TV. But we see Tom Brady during games. Tom Brady screams and yells. Philip Rivers screams and yells. Tom Brady's just one nut grab away from being Baker Mayfield. Let's be honest. And we saw Sean Payton against the Vikings give the choke symbol. People do it all the time. That doesn't bother me. My one concern, my one big concern, I said this before the draft, I said this now, I still feel this way. My one concern, it wasn't a deal breaker, but it did make me hesitate. And it did make me hesitate enough to take Sam Darnold instead. My concern about Baker Mayfield was the police video. And I got a, I got a comment. Someone commented, well, if Baker Mayfield was 6'3", nobody would doubt, be doubting him. Uh, even if Baker Mayfield was 6'3", I would have said, we still have a 6'3 quarterback with a police video. That does concern me. My concerns had nothing to do with height. My concerns about Baker Mayfield had nothing to do with his ability on the field. Again, I said, how many CEOs have a police video? How many other quarterbacks in the NFL have a police video? Not Tom Brady, not Peyton Manning, not Aaron Rodgers, not Drew Brees, not Deshaun Watson, not Russell Wilson, but Baker Mayfield does. And that does concern me. But what the police video, all, all it did was make me hesitate. Again, it made me hesitate enough to want to go to Sam Darnold instead. But that's okay. It was concerning. It makes me pause. But I do believe this. I believe the police video incident with Baker Mayfield was an isolated incident. I don't think it's ever going to happen again. I think when you make a mistake like that, it's embarrassing. It's shameful. I cheated on a girl once. It was awful. It was dumb. I'll never, I was very public to it. Everyone knew in the, my entire small town. Everybody knew. And it was, it was embarrassing and awful. And when you make a very public mistake like that, you'll never, ever do it again. I, I don't think people like Baker Mayfield would. Maybe Johnny Manziel, maybe a drug addict, but Johnny Manziel, Baker Mayfield's not a drug addict. Baker Mayfield's not going to make that mistake ever again. I truly believe that. And I have two thoughts about Baker Mayfield. You're going to like them, I, I, I do believe. The first one's this. You do not walk on to Texas Tech and as a true freshman have the success that Baker Mayfield had if you're not committed to football. Baker Mayfield, without a shadow of a doubt, is committed. He's going to show up on time. He's not going to sleep in. He's going to be not only on time to work, he's going to be early to work. He's going to work his butt off. I believe Baker Mayfield will show up to the Browns and give it everything he has. He will compete. And this is the second reason is this. This is why Baker Mayfield's starting to grow on me. Baker Mayfield has swagger. He, he reminds me of Braveheart. I, I, I said this before. I said this in September. I would follow Baker Mayfield into battle. That makes a huge difference. Baker Mayfield's teammates all love him. They revere him. And that might be what Cleveland needs to turn their program around. Maybe Cleveland doesn't need, no offense to Sam Darnold, a boring guy who talks like Dan Patrick, a boring old guy. Maybe what the Browns need is Sam, uh, Baker Mayfield. Maybe the Browns need Baker Mayfield, someone with, with spunk, someone with uh, the audacity to dare to do what nobody else has ever been able to do in Cleveland, which is turn their program around. Now, I do believe this. I also believe that the Browns did try to outsmart the room because the obvious choice, 
most NFL teams, for whatever reason, I guess the Giants or the Jets didn't. They won't say that Sam Darnold was their number one pick. I can't figure that out for the life of me. Just lie. Like, for God's sake, even if Baker Mayfield was your number one quarterback, the Jets should have just lied. I don't understand that. But it seemed to me that most NFL teams had Sam Darnold as the number one overall pick. Everybody thought that's what was going to happen until, you know, a couple hours before the draft, until that not, the night before it kind of leaked out. But despite what the Browns did, Browns fans will always defend their team's honor. Something I'll never quite understand, but I'll say this. If the Browns feel like they did the right thing, they did. You got to have peace of mind. Now, I also would say that Every time the Browns try to outsmart the room, it's not worked. Like when they drafted Johnny Manziel, oh, we know better. We can make Johnny Manziel work. No. Or when the Browns drafted Deshaun Kaiser and everyone said, oh, you know, his coach even said, don't draft Deshaun Kaiser. And the Browns still drafted him and it didn't work. Or when the Browns drafted Brandon Whedon. See, every time, if you look back at the history of the Browns, every time they've gone against the grain, every time the Browns have said, we're smarter than you, we know better. It's not panned out. So I would have just gone with Sam Darnold. But again, you you have to commend John Dorsey for taking a risk, for doing what he believed in. Because you don't want to work with a quarterback you don't believe in. So I know this has been a long, complicated segment, the longest one of all the quarterbacks. I support the Browns drafting Baker Mayfield. I do. I don't know if that was clear. I know I made this reaction video. That's not how I actually felt. It's how I felt in the moment. And I sat back and listened, thought about it. It was the right thing. Why, you don't want to date a girl and you're like, yeah, I kind of like her. You want to date the girl that you're like, yes, I know for a fact I like her. And if the Browns had drafted Sam Darnold and hadn't really believed in him, they would have been wishy-washy. They would have been dating a girl they were settling on and it wouldn't have been great. So if the Browns believe in Sam, Baker Mayfield, awesome. Go for it. I'm happy for him. That's what they should have done. It's what they did do. And again, the most important thing was that the Browns got a quarterback because the Browns just needed to get any one of those four quarterbacks. For the love of God, I'm happy they did. I'm happy the Browns got Baker Mayfield. Now, the second quarterback drafted in the NFL draft was Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold was drafted by the Jets. There was a a weird story recently where the Jets head coach would not come out and say that Sam Darnold was the number one quarterback on their board. People were like, so were you excited? You know, Sam Darnold fell to you guys. Was that your number one quarterback on the board? And the Jets head coach was like, well, we're going to keep that private. Well, why? Why not? Even if he wasn't, even if Sam Darnold wasn't your number one choice, just lie about it. How hard is that? It was so dumb. I, I think Todd Bowles has a very limited time based on what we just saw. I don't know that Todd Bowles is going to be around in New York for very long. But the Jets made a great decision this offseason. What the Jets did was re-sign Josh McCown for a one-year deal worth $10 million. That was such a great decision for the New York Jets to do. What did I say before? I meant the Jets. If I didn't say the Jets, that's what I meant. Signing Josh McCown to the Jets is really significantly going to help Sam Darnold in the long run. Josh McCown, he's played before. He can help Sam Darnold learn the ropes. He can teach Sam Darnold what he's doing, how to be a pro. And I believe Sam Darnold will be highly successful for the New York Jets. In fact, I believe there's going to be a game this year where Sam Darnold has a really great game. It's going to be later, October, November, where Sam Darnold goes off as the best rookie performance of the week. He'll have three touchdowns in New York 
in New Jersey, in that stadium, and that's what I believe will happen. Being from USC doesn't bother me about Sam Darnold. That's a ridiculous thing to worry about. There's no one school that pumps out quarterbacks. And I just, I have to say, you know, the turnovers didn't bother me. I thought you can fix it. You can put two hands on the, You can teach Sam Darnold to hold the ball with two hands. And I can live with the interceptions because the upside is so much better than other quarterbacks. I can live with the turnovers because of how good Sam Darnold is. And I do really believe this. The New York Giants decided not to draft Sam Darnold. They let the other team, the New York Jets, have him. That was a huge mistake. I will say that till the day I die. The Giants should have drafted Sam Darnold with their second overall pick. In two to three years, you will, we will all see. <laughs> the Giants won't have a quarterback. The Jets will. The Jets will be winning. The Giants will not. We saw. They drafted Saquon Barkley. And it did not even help their Vegas odds at all. The Giants, with their stacked, incredible team, are only projected to win six games. So now let's move on. The third quarterback drafted in the NFL draft was Josh Allen. Josh Allen, that big, strong guy that, who looked great in shorts, that great quarterback from Wyoming. Uh, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Josh Allen. I really wasn't. I thought he was kind of overrated. I thought he had a huge arm, but and a huge arm doesn't really matter. And yet Buffalo is a perfect fit for Josh Allen. Could not be any better for Josh Allen. He has A.J. McCarron, so there's no pressure on him to start right away. And let's be honest, Josh Allen is a project. Josh Allen's not ready now. He's not going to be ready for quite a while. And it could not have worked out, but this is a great marriage. The Browns need Josh Allen. Josh Allen needs the Browns. So the Bills. The, Josh Allen needs the Bills. The Bills need Josh Allen. Josh Allen needs time to sit. And the Bills will need Josh Allen because of Josh Allen's huge arm. It's a perfect scenario. Josh Allen isn't in a hurry to play. And the Bills, because of the weather, because of the snow, the rain, the wind, Josh Allen is the perfect quarterback to play up in Buffalo, New York. Josh Allen and the Bills need each other. I think the Bills got exactly the quarterback they should have. I think it was a good match. I really do. I think it was a good match. Even though I don't like Josh Allen very much, the one spot he should have gone was the Bills. And that's exactly where he went. I'm very, very happy with that pick. Now, Josh Rosen was the fourth quarterback chosen in the NFL draft. He went to the Arizona Cardinals. Woo! I love it. That is fantastic. That is a near-perfect pick. It's a near-perfect scenario for both the Cardinals and Josh Rosen. First of all, the Cardinals have Larry Fitzgerald, an older veteran wide receiver who's been around the league, who cannot just give Josh Rosen a really good target to throw to. He's going to give Josh Rosen a mentor, a guy to learn to, a guy to ask questions. They're going to work well together. I think they're going to like each other. I'm really, really excited for Larry Fitzgerald. I'm really excited for Josh Rosen. I'm also really excited for the Arizona Cardinals offensive coordinator, Mike McCoy. Mike McCoy is the former Chargers offensive coordinator. He was the offensive coordinator with the Chargers for the last four years. He worked with Phillip Rivers. He's going to really enjoy working with Josh Rosen. The other thing was this. Last year, Mike McCoy was the Broncos head coach very briefly. And he was fired because the offense was struggling to move the ball. And, and a big part of that was that the Broncos never once had a competent quarterback. You better bet when Mike McCoy shows up in Arizona, he's going to be so excited to have a guy like Josh Rosen ready to go, 
rearing, ready to learn the offense. Because in Arizona, well, you heard this about Mike McCoy when he was coaching the Broncos. It was overwhelming for him to deal with the defense and special teams and then his main focus, which was the offense. In Arizona, he's not the head coach. So he can simply focus on preparing the best offensive plan he needs to and working with Josh Rosen. I think Mike McCoy's a number two. I don't think he's a head coach. And I think he's got a perfect, perfect scenario. Josh Rosen will absolutely thrive with Mike McCoy and the Arizona Cardinals coaching staff. He's like Peyton Manning. This is a home run for the Cardinals. I'm so excited. He will be the starter quickly. It's worth noting Josh Rosen, I think, is a tad bit immature. He's a tad bit insecure. But we're going to watch over the next 10 to 15 years. We're going to watch Josh Rosen grow up before our eyes. And Josh Rosen will be the most fun quarterback to cover in the entire NFL. Because he's going to give very candid, very honest interviews. When he screws up, he'll tell you. When he has an amazing game, he'll tell you. It's going to be so much fun to watch as a football fan rooting for, not even rooting for the Cardinals, just rooting for good stories. That's what Josh Rosen is going to give us. Now, the fifth quarterback in the NFL draft that was chosen was Lamar Jackson. He was the last pick of the fourth round of the first round, and the Ravens moved up. The Ravens moved back into the first round to go get Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson got super lucky. This is a great, great fit for him. He's lucky because there's no pressure for him to play immediately. The Baltimore Ravens have Joe Flacco. So what that means is there's no pressure. Lamar Jackson can take time to develop. He can learn. And I'll tell you what, man, the preseason is going to be so much fun to watch Lamar Jackson. Even if the dude can't throw, which I think he will by then, we're going to watch the guy run around. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun. I don't really know if Lamar Jackson is going to play in a regular season game in his first year. Because he needs to fix his mechanics. He needs to work on stuff. And I'll be honest, Lamar Jackson could be a bust. It's that concerning. His, his throwing technique is that concerning. But I do believe this. I believe Lamar Jackson will work incredibly hard. I think he's an honest guy who works his butt off. And he will improve. I do believe he will improve and become somewhat a viable quarterback in this NFL. How great? I don't know. That's really up to Lamar Jackson. How bad does Lamar Jackson want it? I believe Lamar Jackson wants it pretty bad. I'm really excited for the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. So the Steelers, the sixth quarterback chosen in the NFL draft was the Steelers choosing Oklahoma State quarterback Mason Rudolph in the third round. This is such a good pick. See, there was speculation that the Steelers would draft Mason Rudolph in the first round. That would have been a bad pick. That would have been a waste. Because right now, the Steelers have a chance to win a Super Bowl. And so your first two picks... Those are picks that could potentially contribute to your team winning a Super Bowl this year. But in the third round, when you're less likely to get a guy who's going to start and contribute, perfect. Perfect time for the Steelers to draft Mason Rudolph. Here's what I like about Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph fits really well with the Steelers because Mason Rudolph can throw the ball a really, really long way. Now, do not confuse arm strength with the ability to throw the ball a long ways. Mason Rudolph throws a really good deep ball. That's his strength. What he doesn't do is throw the ball very well along the perimeter on deep comebacks, on deep outs. He kind of lets the ball sail a little bit. For some, He's kind of weirdly doesn't have a very zippy arm. He doesn't throw the ball with a lot of velocity to the outside. He can throw really far, but not really to the out with a lot of velocity. That does concern me quite a bit. 
I'm concerned about Mason Rudolph's ability to throw the ball in the snow and the rain and bad elements. I don't know that he's done that very much. And that's the problem with not having a lot of zip on the ball. He doesn't throw the ball very quickly, probably like 45 miles an hour versus like a 70 mile an hour fastball. I don't know if that makes any sense. But when you're throwing a ball slower, it's harder to cut through the wind, harder to cut through the snow. And that does that is a real concern to me. But I, I do believe, I'm not going to say this about all the quarterbacks coming up ahead. Mason Rudolph could be the quarterback of the future for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't feel that way about many of the quarterbacks coming up. I do believe Mason Rudolph could become the quarterback of the future for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He fits their system. He has a chance. I cannot wait to watch Mason Rudolph in the preseason. And he's got a great personality. Mason Rudolph has a really good personality. He's a guy I could see leading my program. I do like Mason Rudolph quite a bit. Now, the seventh quarterback drafted in the NFL draft, the Giants drafted Kyle Lalletta, the quarterback from Richmond in the fourth round. I repeat, I repeat, I repeat, the Giants should have drafted Sam Darnold. I keep getting comments saying, well, the Giants drafted Kyle Lalletta. That's the next guy after Eli. Yeah, I I don't buy it. I just don't. Is Kyle Lalletta the future of the Giants? No. No, he's not. Kyle Lalletta, here's what Kyle Lalletta is. Kyle Lalletta is a solid NFL backup quarterback. Am I saying his name wrong? I don't really care. You're mad. I, I, don't, I don't care anymore. I'm, I'm so sick of that. People getting mad about that. Kyle Lalletta could have a 10 to 12 year career simply because he's a grown up. I'm going to remind you of a guy named Ryan Mallett. Ryan Mallett was a quarterback, played for the Houston Texans. Ryan Mallett had a huge arm. Ryan Mallett had all the talent in the world. But he was a guy who overslept practice. In fact, one time, Ryan Mallett overslept and missed a team flight. Kyle Lalletta is the opposite of Ryan Mallett. Where Ryan Mallett was super talented but super undisciplined, Kyle Lalletta is really disciplined and not incredibly talented. I mean, Kyle Lalletta's arm is a real concern. The, the wind in New York is no joke. The swirling winds in that stadium the, the Giants play in is, is really a problem. And I don't know that Kyle Lalletta has the arm strength to play well in New York. But here's what he will do. Kyle Lalletta will show up on time to work. He will work hard. And I believe Kyle Lalletta will make the roster. But I also believe Kyle Lalletta is a career backup. He'll be similar to Josh McCown. He's just not going to have a lot of long stints where he is a starting quarterback in this league. <clears throat> now, the eighth quarterback taken in this draft class was Mike White. He was a fifth-round draft pick by the Dallas Cowboys. I would not have drafted Mike White. Here's why I don't like Mike White. He doesn't step into pressure. Eli Manning steps into pressure. Eli Manning does a great job. Love Eli Manning, hate Eli Manning. Eli Manning does this really well. It's something Michael White needs to learn. He needs to learn how to step into pressure. When a guy's going to hit you in the chin, don't fall away and try to throw a fade hook. Step into it, shoot the jumper, throw a ball right into him and take that shot on the chin. Mike White doesn't do that. I would have stayed far away from Mike White if I was the Dallas Cowboys. The other thing with Mike White is this. Why did they draft him so early? There was no rush. It's the fifth round. Why do you need to... Mike White's not going to go for another round at the very least. Maybe they loved him, but I just... I did not think the urgency was there to draft Mike White. I didn't understand. 
Now, here's why Mike White's going to make the roster with the Dallas Cowboys. Whether you like Mike White, whether you don't believe in Mike White, the only other backup for the Dallas Cowboys is a guy named Cooper Rush, which sounds like a great band. I don't know that he's a great quarterback because I've never heard of him. Because when I say, hey, Cooper Rush, he's the backup quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, you go, uh, who? And that's exactly my point. Mike White's going to make the roster with the Dallas Cowboys, but I don't think that says very much because there's just not much there in Dallas other than Dak Prescott. The ninth quarterback taken in this year's NFL draft, the quarterback taken ninth overall, was Luke Falk. Luke Falk was drafted by the Tennessee Titans in the sixth round. And I was so sad when the Titans drafted Luke Falk because I so badly wanted to see the Patriots have Luke Falk on their roster. I really believe the best chance for Luke Falk to be successful in the NFL was to land with the New England Patriots and learn from Tom Brady. I was so upset when that did not happen. Because I think Luke Falk is a really, really bad fit in Tennessee. I don't think that works at all. Remember, the quarterback for the Tennessee Titans is a guy named Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota is nothing like, nothing at all like Luke Falk. Luke Falk is going to be running an offense built for someone else. It's not going to work. Marcus Mariota has a completely different skill set. Luke Falk can't run the zone read. He can't do all the rollouts that Marcus Mariota does. He's not going to be very successful in that offense. It's sad. We make all these comparisons to Tom Brady. You watch Luke Falk throwing the football. He looks just like Tom Brady. It's very clear he's a fan of Tom Brady. It's very clear Luke Falk emulated Tom Brady growing up. I follow Luke Falk. Sorry, I follow Tom Brady on Instagram. Every time Tom Brady puts up a picture, I see in this liked. One of the guys that liked that picture was Luke Falk. And a weird, weird, weird test of fate. Luke Falk was drafted with the 199th overall pick in the NFL draft. The same exact pick Tom Brady was drafted in this year's, in in his NFL draft, years and years ago. And and that's, that's about where the comparisons to Tom Brady end. They look the same when they throw, and they were both drafted with the 199th overall pick. I mean, look, I really believe, I don't know that there's a long stretch of his career where Luke Falk is going to be starting a lot of games. I believe he's a career backup. And that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But I do believe that Luke Falk is more Brian Hoyer than Tom Brady. I have a huge, huge issue with Luke Falk. And and a Washington State alum actually pointed this out in my comments on Friday. He pointed out how many injuries Luke Falk has had. And when an NFL team drafts a guy, they have all this medical information and it's very clear, they, I, to me, they looked at his medical information and said, he's just not worth the risk. I don't know that Luke Falk is going to be very good, and I don't think he can take a lot of beating. I really don't think that. I think that's how they felt. So a career backup is what I believe Luke Falk is. A career backup at best. I like his maturity, but Luke Falk comes from a college system that does not prepare you for the NFL. It doesn't hurt you. It's just neutral. Mike Leach's system just don't really get you ready for the NFL very much. And again, Luke Falk will never, ever be a consistent starter in the NFL. I hope I'm wrong. Luke Falk is a great, great guy. But I believe at best, Luke Falk is a career backup at best. 
You know, it's funny. Washington State fans always come to me with this argument. They say, well, Luke Falk has every record in the Pac-12. He's the best passer in Pac-12 history. And I friendly remind them, remember who had all the records before Luke Falk broke them. A guy named Sean Mannion. You know where Sean Mannion is now? He's the backup quarterback for the LA Rams. That's exactly what Luke Falk is. I like him. He's not a bad dude. But I watched every game Luke Falk played in for the last three years. I live in Washington State. I go to Washington State University. I worked on the sidelines of every single football game Luke Falk played in at home this year. I was there when Luke Falk beat Sam Darnold. I'm not impressed. I like him. I don't hate him. He's a nice guy. He was nice to me the one time I met him. But he's not an NFL starting quarterback. Again, he's more Brian Hoyer than Tom Brady. It's not a bad thing. He'll have a good year. He can play 10 to 12 years in the league. But Luke Falk is a backup quarterback at best. So the Jaguars. The, num- the 10th overall quarterback selected in the NFL draft were, was the Jaguars selecting Tanner Lee, the quarterback from Nebraska. <clears throat> What's interesting about this is they picked a quarterback really, really late. The Jaguars waited a long time to pick a quarterback. And the reason why they did that is that it shows a commitment to Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles is their guy. I'm going to make a quick prediction about Tanner Lee. Tanner Lee will make the roster for the Jaguars. He might even be the Jaguars' backup for a couple years. I think that's all he does. Here's what I do not believe. Tanner Lee is not the future of the Jaguars. Don't get your hopes up. Don't be excited. For some reason, Cowboys fans are all defending Mike White. Don't. Tanner Lee's okay. He's not great. He's not the future starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars just needed a backup. That's exactly what Tanner Lee is. The Jaguars are committed to Blake Bortles. Now, the 11th overall quarterback selected in the NFL draft was highly, highly interesting. The Patriots decided to wait until the 7th round to draft a quarterback. And what that was was a clear message to Tom Brady. Tom, you're our guy. We're not drafting your replacement. We're not going to waste an early pick. We're getting you a running back, a left tackle. Help, help, and help. We're getting you players that can help you win games now, Tom. You better win for us. That is what the Patriots did. In the seventh round, the Patriots drafted quarterback Danny Etling from LSU. When is the last time LSU had a good quarterback? And I mean that not in the way of like USC, how they struggle. I mean, literally, the the statistics for LSU quarterbacks every single year are awful. They're just atrocious. It's not good. I'm really, really surprised that the Patriots drafted Danny Etling. The reason why they did this. Basically, what the Patriots did when they drafted Danny Etling in the seventh round was do this. Basically, Danny Etling is a free agent signing. The reason why the Patriots drafted Danny Etling in the seventh round was to ensure that he was at their camp this fall. Because if they didn't sign him in the seventh round or draft him in the seventh round, the Patriots would not have had his rights and he could go sign wherever he wanted. This way, the Patriots own... Danny Etling, and it's actually quite a compliment. The fact that the Patriots wanted him and liked him enough to draft him and wanted them in their room, that's exciting. That's interesting. What I thought was also really curious was that the New England Patriots chose Danny Etling over Logan Woodside. Clearly what that means is the Patriots liked 
Danny Etling the person. They liked who he is on and mostly sounds like his interviews off the field is what the Patriots liked about Danny Etling. Now, do be very aware, Danny Etling was not great at LSU. He really wasn't. And I really do not trust Louisiana State's quarterback coaching. They're awful. I do not trust them at all. And Danny Etling is not. Danny Etling is not the future quarterback for the Patriots. He's not the quarterback of the future for the New England Patriots. I mean, here's the thing. Danny Etling will need help from coaches just to be improve enough to be an adequate backup. He needs a lot of room to improve enough to be an even adequate backup, let alone actually play in the NFL. But I will say I like this about Danny Etling. Danny Etling is a grown-up. You won't see any screwing around. You won't see any bad stuff. He won't be late. He won't do what Ryan Mallett did. And Danny Etling's an Elite 11 guy. He's really smart, and I would bet a lot Danny Etling will make the Patriots roster. They'll keep him around just because they're interested. What can we do with Danny Etling that LSU couldn't? The 12th quarterback, the 12th out of 13 quarterbacks that were drafted in this year's NFL draft, the 12th quarterback taken in the NFL draft was Alex McGough, the quarterback from Florida International University. He was drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. And I'll be honest, I had to Google Alex McGough. I really did. I had never heard of him at all, but when I watched his tape, I was quite impressed. See, what Alex does really well is he's really good at escaping pressure and throwing on the run, which is exactly what Russell Wilson does. Alex McGough is the only quarterback in the NFL draft besides Lamar Jackson who could move like Russell Wilson. Alex McGough is a zone read guy. He's had a ton of success with bad offensive lines. He has a really strong arm. Does that remind you of anybody? That sounds exactly like Russell Wilson. I believe that Alex McGough is the new backup quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, and he will be for the next couple years. This is the first time since Russell Wilson was drafted that the Seattle Seahawks made a pick and drafted a quarterback. So really, I'm curious to watch Alex McGough in the preseason as a rookie. I'm really, really interested. The only question I would have about Alex McGough, if I am a Seattle Seahawks fan, and if I'm a 49ers fan even, I'm listening, the only question is, is Alex McGough a goat? Or sorry, an adult. Is Alex McGough an adult? The only reason he couldn't succeed is that if he did something stupid, his career could end early. That is the only reason why Alex McGo should not succeed as an NFL quarterback, is if he screws it up for himself. <clears throat> now, the 13th quarterback drafted in this year's NFL draft was the Bengals drafting Logan Woodside in the seventh round of this draft, the quarterback from Toledo, Ohio. And wow, I was surprised that Logan Woodside fell all the way down to the seventh round of the draft. I am not sure why Logan Woodside slid all the way down in the draft. Uh, you know, the Bengals may have gotten a steal, honestly, because everybody, all the buzz around, you know, this quarterback could be the sleeper. It could be the one good quarterback. A lot of people said that Logan Woodside could have been drafted where Kyle Lalletta was drafted. That's how highly some people felt about Logan Woodside. So I think the Bengals could have gotten a steal. I don't know. Time will tell. But again, a lot of people really believed in Logan Woodside. He needs to develop. Um, but he could develop into a really good backup quarterback. I actually like Logan Woodside quite a bit. And the thing is, the Bengals have no quarterback depth. 
So I believe they got a good one. And I do believe Logan Woodside will make it onto the Bengals roster. I am dying. Oh my goodness. I got it. These are the worst. They're called Wired 344 because they have 344 milligrams of caffeine. You haven't slept in over 24 hours. I don't know if you could watch. In that last topic, I was like, literally, I could feel myself like nodding off. I was like, oh, I gotta, gotta push through. Okay, we have we have two things left to do to talk about in this podcast. Uh, we have, we actually have three. I'm gonna grab my phone. We have three really interesting topics left. You're done. I mean, that's probably going on forever. I want to start with this before we get to <clears throat> before we get to the San Francisco 49ers NFL draft analysis. I want to talk about Trent Brown because the 49ers traded away one of their right tackles, uh, the, the tackle Trent Brown to the Patriots. And I have a theory about why this happened and what went down. Have you ever heard of the you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours? See, the Patriots' former left tackle, Nate Solder, signed with the New York Giants this offseason. He went and left and went away. And that caused a lot of issues with depth for the New England Patriots. And when the 49ers first drafted Mike McGlinchey in the first round, I think what the Patriots did was call in a favor. The Patriots said, hey, we need help. You have a tackle you that you don't need. We need a tackle. Can we have him? We'll give you a third round pick. And I think the way the Patriots leveraged this was say, hey, remember that favor we did when we gave you a franchise quarterback? Give us your tackle. That is why I believe the 49ers traded away Trent Brown to the New England Patriots. I, I look, it seemed like the 49ers didn't really need him. They got Mike McGlinchey. They have Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey. It's a good, it works out pretty well. And so the Patriots got tackle Trent Brown and a fifth round pick, while the 49ers got a third round pick that I liked what they did with it. And here's the thing. I think that Trent Brown started a number of games for the 49ers. He's not an awful player. He's not a great player, but he is a starter. He can play in the league, and I think the Patriots are going to find a way to use him. Right tackle, left tackle, I don't know. They also drafted Anthony Wynn, the guy from Georgia, but I, there's some way, there's something the Patriots are planning to do with Trent Brown, and I do believe that really helps the Patriots in the long run because their tackle situation was awful until the team that they gave a franchise quarterback to said, okay, you scratched our back. We'll scratch your back. Let's help you out get a, t- a tackle. And that's what really happened between the Patriots and the 49ers. No, I don't drink this stuff. It's, it's, like, it's like poison. It has two servings per container. Oh, it's, it's just, it, it's gross. Don't even, it's, so that's 340, what's 344 times two? I don't want to even do that math. That's like 788. That's a lot. Is it 688? God, my math's terrible. <laughs> that's why I'm not a math major. The point is, that's a lot of caffeine. Okay, I want to move into the San Francisco 49ers NFL draft. I want to break down the 49ers NFL draft, kind of talk about in depth all nine of their picks, tell you what I thought. And when I look at all nine of the players that the 49ers drafted, my first question is this. Do you trust the 49ers general manager, John Lynch? I do, but do you? Because I I trust him. I think John Lynch has proven himself over the years. See, last year's draft in 2017 was fantastic. 
And then John Lynch made it happen. John Lynch got them a franchise quarterback for a meager second-round pick. That's unbelievable. He got Jimmy Garoppolo. He had a great draft. He found Adrian Colbert, Colbert in the seventh round. Is it Colbert or Colbert? I don't know. The point is, I trust John Lynch. John Lynch is awesome. And so the first pick, the ninth overall pick that the 49ers made in this year's NFL draft was the tackle Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame. And this surprised me. I even made a video once about why the 49ers should not draft the offensive line. I'll be honest. I was just trying to be interesting. But it did, it did surprise me because I, I thought the 49ers should get a guy that made an impact right away. And it sounds like McGlinchey's that guy to them. It sounds like the, the 49ers really, really liked Mike McGlinchey. And, and here's the problem is, as quarterbacks began to fall in the NFL draft, guys like Roquan Smith were gone. Denzel Ward was gone. And I think that it's possible that maybe the 49ers decided Tremaine Edmonds was just too much of a project. They didn't want to develop a guy who had a lot of coaching issues, yada, yada. So the 49ers did the safe thing. They drafted a tackle from Notre Dame, Mike McGlinchey. And it is really hard to criticize a team for drafting offensive linemen. It just is. Because there are some things in life you can never have too many of. You can never have too many quality offensive linemen around. That is what the 49ers did. The 49ers went out and got a guy to protect their $137 million quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. You, so you can make an argument the 49ers might have reached a little bit. Maybe Mike McGlinchey was not a top 10 player in this year's NFL draft. But who cares? As long as they got a guy who's going to make an impact, it seems like Mike McGlinchey is... It works for me. I'm okay with Mike McGlinchey. I like the pick. I thought it was a good one. For the love of God, protect Jimmy Garoppolo. That is what the 49ers need. The second pick was really interesting. The second pick for the 49ers with the 44th overall pick, the 49ers chose receiver Dante Pettis from the University of Washington. My, my former coach, uh, not, not my head coach, one of my like receivers coaches, Talked, he's a 49ers fan. He talked about, he was confused why the 49ers made this move. He said, why would we trade up to get Dante Pettis, the guy we could have got later in the draft? <clears throat> I don't know. I really don't. I, I know that here's what John Lynch said about Dante Pettis. John Lynch was excited because Dante Pettis could play, play the X, the slot, and the Z receiver for the 49ers. He's really versatile. He can go anywhere they want him to. It's really possible Mike Kyle Shanahan loves him. It's I would bet Kyle Shanahan's a guy that looks at Dante Pettis and goes, we can do a lot with him. Because what Kyle Shanahan does is maximizes his players. He maximized Trent Brown. Sorry, Trent Brown. Uh, what's that guy's name? Trent Edwards. I can't remember his name right now. Whatever that guy, the little, little slot receiver is. I, I'm, I'm blanking names right now. I'm tired. I've been up 24 hours. Kyle Shanahan maximizes his players. He gets the everything out of his guys that he can. That is what Kyle Shanahan is going to do with Dante Pettis. And don't forget, Dante Pettis is a fantastic, fantastic return man. He's a leading scorer when it comes to punt return touchdowns. He has nine in his NCAA career. That's incredible. Dante Pettis is a great return man. He's a somewhat explosive wide receiver. He might need some developing. I don't know. But I'm sure Kyle Shanahan saw Dante Pettis and said, let's go get him. I want him. The third guy that the 49ers drafted was a guy named Fred Warner, the linebacker from BYU. So what I'm told is that scouts love this pick. What I'll tell you is this. I don't know a ton about Fred Warner, 
But I do know that I saw BYU and, Bo- and Portland State play each other because my buddy plays for Portland State. And I know that a guy named Fred Warner, the very same Fred Warner, was flying around making tackle after tackle after tackle. I think he had like 10 tackles. I believe he was like the leading. T- he was just everywhere. Fred Warner's a beast. And I, I do believe it's, it's a smart pick because if Reuben Foster is not ready or something happens, you can insert Fred Warner into the lineup. And I think he can play as a rookie. Not amazingly, but he will be able to play as a rookie. That's awesome. I like the Fred Warner pick. I think it's a really smart one. And I'm excited for Fred Warner in a 49ers uniform. Now, the fourth pick that the 49ers made is another really exciting one. Uh, Tavarius Moore, a third-round selection, uh, just a, a really raw athlete. Here's what I like. He is six foot two with 33-inch arms. He's a big, tall, long defensive back. Now, my only question about Tavarius Moore, Tavarius, Tavarius, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Look, there, he's a great player. I'm excited for him. I don't know whether he'll play safety or corner. I would assume corner. I know that Moore played in safety in college, and I just don't really know what he's going to come out as. Because some, some people list Moore as a, a corner. Some people list him as a safety. He has really good ball skills. He can cover people. Seems like he could play whatever he wanted. I'm excited because he's a big body, and he really fits the 49ers scheme. The, with the fifth pick the 49ers made is where picks start to get kind of weird. Kind of interesting. It's just where you got to start beginning to trust John Lynch. With the, the fifth pick in the fourth round, the 49ers drafted Kentavious Street. Kentavious Street. Street or Street? I don't remember. I, I wrote it down. It's by hand. I don't remember his name. Actually, it's Street or Street. He's a defensive end from NC State. And he is going to be out the entire year. He has a torn ACL. So your fourth round pick can't play this year at all. And that's kind of weird to me. Why, why would we do that? And he's not the only guy. There's a number of guys that have injuries that the 49ers drafted that kind of make me shake my head, kind of make me a little bit wondering. Maybe, though, maybe uh, Kentavious Street, the defensive end from NC State, just has a really good upside. I don't know. We'll find out. Now, the sixth overall player that the 49ers selected was DJ Reed in the fifth round, the defensive back from Kent State. This is a good pick. He's a return guy. He can play the nickel corner, which means when the offense brings a third wide receiver out, you can put DJ Reed onto the field so he can guard a, a, just a wide receiver. It's a really, really good pick. He can play nickel. DJ Reed can contribute on special teams. DJ Reed is a really, really good, fantastic pick. Marcel Harris is interesting. Marcel Harris is a safety out of Florida. He's the seventh pick that the 49ers made out of the sixth round. This is why it was genius to sign Richard Sherman. The 49ers keep selecting more and more young defensive backs. Every pick they made, it was like, oh, another guy, another young defensive back, another young defensive back. Not to mention that Marcel Harris is recovering from an Achilles injury, the very same thing that Richard Sherman is recovering from. So for a six-round pick, it's worth the risk, and I do because I think that if Marcel Harris was not injured at the end, like he was last year, I think Marcel Harris could have been an even higher draft pick from... Florida, and I think he might have, we might have got a steal, honestly. We, I shouldn't say we. It's possible the 49ers got a steal by drafting Marcel Harris. The eighth pick is interesting. Uh, it's Julian Taylor, a defensive back from Temple. Another guy who's been hurt. 2015, he was hurt. 
2016, he was hurt. He had a, a torn meniscus and then a torn ACL in the same knee back to back. I'm not sure which one was which year, but that's not good. A knee injury both years, 2015 and 2016. With, uh, he played okay in 2017. And my only question is, does this defensive tackle, does he have a lot of upside? I don't know. He's not a guarantee. I don't really know what John Lynch sees in him. Maybe John Lynch said, we're just going to go with, we're going to get, maybe he drafted injured players thinking they're going to be healthy and were undervalued because they were injured. Is that possible? Maybe. I hope so. Because the seventh, the, the ninth person that the 49ers selected in, in the seventh round, the 49ers selected Richie Jones, the wide receiver from Middle Tennessee. He runs a 4 4. He, again, is a guy with injury issues. And I just, I'm really curious because four of the last five guys that Kyle, sorry, that John Lynch drafted had injury concerns. And it just makes me wonder, was it, was it a situation where John Lynch felt like they were undervalued because of their injury? And they felt like they were getting better players than normal because of the injuries? And, and that's hit or miss. Maybe they'll work out, maybe they won't. Um, but it is interesting, you know, three of the guys coming in are hurt. And there's another guy that the 49ers drafted who simply will not play at all. And that's why I asked the question, do you trust John Lynch? You do or you don't? I do. I don't understand what he's doing. I don't know why he drafted a bunch of injured guys. But look, hey, it's John Lynch. He killed the draft last year. He got Jimmy Garoppolo. He's earned the right for me to trust him, for us to give him his faith. So I trust John Lynch. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're scheming. I would love to know. Maybe that was their strategy, was get injured players that are maybe undervalued because of their injuries, and so you can get more value for less. I think that's maybe what John Lynch did. I really don't know. Regardless, I'm so excited to see these guys in action. I cannot wait. I think, I know a lot of people didn't like uh, Dante Pettis. I did. I wanted the 49ers to get some kind of wide receiver. I watched a lot of Dante Pettis. He's from my home state. That guy is explosive. He's fun. I like him. They got a tackle. They got Jimmy Garoppolo some help. And they got a good linebacker to work with Reuben Foster. It's a really, really good situation. A bunch of injured guys. That we'll see how they pan out. Oh, and the other guy, Tavarius Moore. I think Tavarius Moore. He is awesome. That guy who's a safety just really, really excites me. I, uh, I, I'm really curious to see what happens. He's a huge, long corner. And I just am really, really curious to see... What happens with him? Yes, it was Tavarius Moore, the fourth guy they drafted in the third round, a 6-2 corner who, there's no rush. They got Richard Sherman. They got Akilah Witherspoon. They even got DJ Reed, and they can develop Tavarius Moore into whatever they want. They can mold him like clay and shape him. That, I think, could be a really great steal in the draft. That was a really, really good pick, and I really, really liked it. All right. I have one thing left. Um, my, uh, growing up, I went to school in Portland. I went to an inner city school in Portland. Wow. It's almost been two hours. I've been recording this. I went to a, a David Douglas high school, David Douglas high school in Portland, Oregon. And uh, I played with a guy named Marcel Frazier. He was awesome. Always a great guy. He was captain of the team when I was there. I was younger than him. And when he graduated, he gave me his number nine Jersey. I got it. It was torn to shreds. It was all ripped up. And uh, I remember I got to wear Marcel's jersey, Marcel's Fraser's jersey. And I want to read you guys something that I think is so, so cool. Because I, Marcel Fraser was a guy who had no offers out of high school. And he, he really didn't, I'll just, I'll just read you what he had. Marcel Fraser put this on Facebook. Good plot twist. I was told I wasn't good enough to make the roster of my first community college I went to. 
I was sleeping on my buddy's living room floor a couple years ago playing ball at my second community college, living off of food stamps and eating rice, potatoes, and spam. I took a chance going to play ball at the University of Missouri, not knowing for sure if I could compete in the SEC and not knowing anyone in a 500-mile radius of Missouri. I made the most of all the opportunities given, and now I am fortunate enough to be starting my NFL career back in the Northwest with the Seattle Seahawks. See you Thursday, Seattle. Can't wait. If you're listening, you might be a 49ers fan. You might be a Seahawk, whatever you are. I, you don't understand how cool a story it is that Marcel Frazier's in the NFL. Uh, he may not make it. I hope he does. He, I, I, there's no one I'm rooting for more than Marcel Frazier. I believe in the guy wholeheartedly. I'm just also realistic. I know things happen, but man, Marcel Frazier is one of the coolest guys I know. I would love to get him on the show. He's a guy I just revered growing up. Got to be around him a little bit growing up. That's actually two now defensive ends I played with that are in the NFL. One for the Rams, now one for the Seahawks. Um, and I just, <clears throat> Marcel, I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you. It's been cool. I've, I've watched you, you know, from afar grow up through social media. And, uh, you know, he, he graduated and then he went got and got his, he's worked on his master's degree while playing football. And I just, I applaud you, Marcel. You're awesome. I'm rooting for you. And I'm so very excited for the path you're on. And I, I just, uh, I hope maybe someday we can get you on the show. We've talked about it before a little bit. I know it's tough because of PR stuff. It's hard to work with, you know, PR people, yada, yada. If your situation's ever secure, I would love to get you on my podcast for what I, call in, whatever. Marcel, I'm rooting for you. I have nothing but goodwill for you. And I'm so proud of you, man. Well done and good job. And I hope if you're listening, uh, you, not Marcel, I mean, people listening to the podcast, I hope you enjoyed that story because you don't understand, man. Marcel overcome, uh, overcame obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And for him to get to the end of this story and get to the NFL is so dang cool. It's so dang exciting. I have to watch it all unfold for the last couple of years. And uh, it's not the end of the tunnel, man. There's a lot of journey to go. He's got to make it on the team, and then he's got to continue. to. But I, I just am, we're in the middle of this journey, and I think there's a lot left to go, and I think he's going to make it all the way through, and I'm so excited for Marcel. Wednesday's, Wednesday's show is going to be great. This is a, I know, a really long podcast. I, 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 I haven't slept in 24 hours, literally. I prepared the show all night. Wednesday's podcast is already almost partially done. We're going to talk about who had the best NFL draft. I'm going to tell you why I'm excited for the Cleveland Browns. There's a whole reason. It's not just Baker Mayfield. I'm really excited for the Browns. I think they're building something. Um, I'm going to tell you why you should demand more from your team if you're a fan. We're going to talk about Paul George leaving and much, much more. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. If you like this podcast as much as I do, help me grow this show by telling your friends. Share it on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow Strong Opinion Sports by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. That is all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back Wednesday. I'm sorry this show is late. I wanted to record it at 9. It's now like probably 5 o'clock at night. I did my best. I put everything into this podcast, and I'm really excited. Thanks for a 1,000. We're all close to a 1,000 subs. We're going like crazy. I love you guys so much. Ba-dum-bum. Bam, we're done.